as he impacts us. Um, because I know there's a lot of new people here, I guess I'll go ahead and introduce myself. And I forgot my name tag, so um, I am Karen Waldhart. I am pastor of women's ministries here. Um, yes, women's ministries. Anytime you hear impact, it's women's ministry, all right? And um, my claim to fame is that uh, my daughter's Amy Steiner and she leads worship. So that's my claim to fame. <laughs> but uh, I've actually been um, in this particular role for um, going on nine and a half years. Can't believe it. When you're having fun, time just flies. And I uh, just have been felt called to women's ministry for over 20 years. Um, I also led worship before um, Pastor Dory Mendering stepped um, into retirement, but it's really refirement because she's still serving God like she always has. And, um, and so when I, um, I had the honor and the privilege to take the baton because I was leading worship and pass it off to my daughter. And um, she didn't have to. I didn't put her arm behind her back. I didn't force her to do it. She feels called to it too. And she puts together an amazing team. Worship is huge for yes. women here. Yes. Women know how to worship. We can receive miracles just in the time of worship, and we know that worship is a big part of what God wants to do here to impact us. As I mentioned, my husband and I um, took up sailing about 10 years ago, and there's an old saying that is, if you buy a boat, don't put it in the water because it'll just grow bigger. Well, in 10 years, we've gone through three boats, and so we love the boat that we're in right now, and we can um, sail up and down the coast of um, Lake Michigan and just enjoy God in a whole new way. It's, an, it's a perspective of God's creation and our beautiful, beautiful state, and, um, and because sailing takes a long time to get anywhere, my husband and I have a lot of time to be together. Um, and that's good. That's good. Okay. <laughs> but that's what we decided to do in our days of empty nesting. But of course, we have eight grandchildren, so we have to have a bigger boat, right? So that's all good. Um, so that's just a little bit about me. Um, this month, uh, my husband and I are going to be celebrating our 38th wedding anniversary. And I think that's pretty stellar, too. So... Can we just show that slide here? Because this is where we're going this morning, ladies. We are breaking through, breaking free to break forth. Breaking through to break free so we can break forth. Joy, I want to thank you for sending me this picture. Because she said, this reminds me of a story that you've told, and I'm going to tell it this morning, because I had an experience with God that really changed me. You know, when God changes us, he wants to change us from the inside out. Sometimes we get the impression that if I try harder to change all this out here, it'll change my heart. But you know what? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And so God starts with the heart, and then everything else gets ordered because the heart is the, uh, it's out of the heart flow the issues of life. It's so important. And so there was a time um, when I was standing before God, and I had what I would call a, a, a picture 
that ran in my mind. How many of you are very visual anyway? I, I see things, and I'm not talking about, you know, hallucinations, okay? This isn't weird. This is your sanctified imagination, and I can see it. I see it in full living color, so I know that I have an imagination, and it's a gift from God. But you have a choice. You can allow Satan to put the picture there, or you can allow the Holy Spirit, and he will speak to you in visions and pictures. And this was the picture that I saw that day. I was standing before God, and I was frustrated. I was supposed to feel better about myself. I should have probably had a devotional this morning so that now that I'm standing in your presence and we're about to start worship at this, this place that, that we were gathering, I thought, man, I don't like the way I'm feeling, God. I, I just I don't feel like I'm in a good, good place to hear from you. I hadn't done my due diligence. I so thought. But the next thing that I saw was a picture of Jesus and he had this most pleasant expression on his face. I'm disappointed in myself. I'm frustrated with me. I wish that I was in a better place. Because now I'm thinking, now I'm not going to get anything from God because I'm not in a good place. And I just saw him walk up to me, stand next to me. And he began to start doing something along the side of my body. He started with my head and down the side of my, what I was wearing that day, and I'm standing there kind of watching like, hmm, what's he doing? And the next thing I see is that he, it's like he put his fingers inside and pulled apart a shell that I had been standing in. And he grabbed my hand and he helped me to step out of a shell. And all the while, He's smiling. All the while, he's inviting. All the while, it's kind of saying, yeah, come on, come out. Come out from that shell. And that shell was still standing there that looked just like me. It was exact replica of me because I had been living in that shell. And that shell, what was that shell? That shell was what I thought God expected of me. He says, uh-uh, I just want the real girl. Come on out of that. I don't have that expectation on you. I just want your heart just the way you are. You don't have to be a certain way with God. You don't have to feel spiritual because I've done my due diligence. He says, I'm just inviting you out of that shell because that shell actually holds us in a limited place. And I can tell you, when I saw myself stepping out of that, I did not want that shell anymore. And I looked at that and I said, that is the lie that I was believing that I didn't have God's approval until I did all the right things. He was approving of me to the point where he freed me from that shell that I had been limiting myself. It wasn't God's expectation on me. It was mine. And he set me free. And I felt, I just felt so free. I felt, and all I could say is like a real girl. Now, I said that at Access, and everybody snickered because there's a movie out there called something in The Real Girl. Okay, we're not talking about the movie. We're talking about being completely and totally vulnerable and open and knowing that God 
God is not disappointed in you. God does not love you because you're so good. He loves us because he's so good. And he chose to love us first. Even when we're stuck in our shell, he wants to come and he wants to break through so you can break free because you've got places to go in the Lord. Amen. Anybody tracking with me on that? All right. So this was the perfect picture. And Joy, thank you for sending it to me because I was not aware. But see, God has downloaded this thing that this is your year for breakthrough. It's exciting. When God says it, that means he's going to do it. And he says, if we can break through that shell and the limitations that we place not only on ourselves but on God, and we can break free, he'll bring us to a place of freedom because he's got places for you to go. And I believe that a, a breakthrough is, might be in areas where you feel like you've been stuck. You're just stuck. Or maybe this breakthrough that you need in your life has to do with praying and praying and praying and praying and not seeing any results. I've got one of those. But I want you to know that God wants us to count on and be expected that he wants breakthrough for you. This is our year, ladies. This is our year for breakthrough, and especially here at Impact. See, you know what? I am so tired of settling for second and third best. That's not what God has for us. I am so tired of seeing women beat up by, by the world and by themselves and the condemnation and the shame that the devil wants to heap on us. I am tired of it. And I need some vision carriers here. I need some women who are willing to let Jesus break you out of that shell because we've got things to do in this world and you've got people to touch and you've got people to impact in your life and it's not, it's not, we're not going to stay stuck anymore. Say, I'm not stuck. I'm breaking through. I'm breaking free. So I can break forth. I've got things to do. All right, we are done. We are done staying in a place living below what God has accomplished. Amen, girls? <laughs> this table's getting it. Amen. All right. <laughs> but see, some of us have been waiting so long for an answer. I think I've got good news for you. I want to go to Galatians 5.1. It says, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Let me say that one more time. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Okay, I'm going to call on homeschool moms here. Okay, this is our, they, they're all about grammar, right? You've got to teach grammar because you're, you're doing homeschool, right? Okay, if it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, is that talking about Past tense, present tense, or future tense? Past tense. Okay, so it's already happened. Guess what? You've already been set free. You've already been set free. It already happened. When did it happen? Christ did it at the cross. So first thing we need to know is that even though we feel stuck, the truth is you've already been set free. Did Jesus do a complete, on the work, uh, a complete work on the cross for us? He didn't say, I'm almost finished. I'm about 75% done here, and then he died. No, he says, it is finished. It was done. It was done. So what are we walking in? What do we know is ours, and how much of that are you seeing in your own life? Oh, I, I'm a glutton. 
I'm a pig when it comes to wanting all of what God has for me. And for you, I want to see God's women rise up and not, here's the thing, we have to re realize we're not trying to get victory. We're not working from a place of defeat. You are standing on victory ground because Jesus already accomplished it. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. How many of you want a new thing? Yeah. All right. I might ask you at the end, okay? See if we get a better response. I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, breaking forth. Do you not perceive and do you not know it? And will you not give heed to it? And he says this. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. Somebody's facing what you said. This is impossible. I don't see any way through this. I don't see any way around this. I can't figure out how this is going to happen. This is for you. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He can do it. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible. So whether we're feeling stale, whether we're feeling stuck, whether we have been in a place in the wilderness, it doesn't matter. This is our year. This is your time. But you've got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You've got to say, that's it. I'm done. I'm done messing around with fears. I'm done messing around with this constant uh, rat race that I feel like I'm in. I'm going to find my hope, my rest, my peace, my victory in what Jesus has done. But you know, maybe it's time for some of us to think bigger because he said that he will supply over and above what you can even ask or think. Don't think small. Think big because we serve a much, much bigger God. But maybe some of us have given up. And you know, there's the three D's I think that the devil likes to use against us. He says, I believe that there's disappointment, delay, and discouragement. And if you find yourself in one of the D's or hopefully not all three, you know what? There is hope for you today. I pray that this will stir up hope in you. I want to encourage you. I want you to stop focusing on what has caused this dis disappointment and discouragement and get your eyes on the one who gives us new hope. He wants to do a new thing in you today. See, we sing that song, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But you know what? God gave me a picture to share with you, would you all just close your eyes for a minute? Because you're going you're gonna to use this sanctified imagination, okay? Let me help paint a picture for you. Picture that there is a jail cell. There's bars. And you're in that jail cell. In fact, you were found guilty. So that's why you're in that jail cell. There was a conviction, there was a trial, there was a conviction, and you were, you were sent to jail, and now you're serving your time. And you're wearing an orange jumpsuit. I don't like orange, I'm going to turn mine to pink, okay? Um, but you're in jail. But as you're sitting in jail, the door swings open. The door is open. And you think, wait a minute, I belong here. I was found guilty. I can't walk through that door. I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm going to stay right here. I'm staying right here. But the invitation is, 
Would you come out? Uh, you are being set free today. Will you walk out? Or will you sit there in a jail cell with the door open? You know what? You can open your eyes. <laughs> Jesus took your guilt. Were we guilty? Yes. He took our shame. We could be ashamed. But he took it on himself so that you wouldn't have to. So you don't have to sit in a jail cell serving your own sentence. He took it on himself. He paid the penalty. The one who knew no sin. The one who made the choice to die in our place. So you don't have to serve that sentence. And he, then he did exactly what we didn't deserve. He says, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Righteous? What? But I'm guilty. He says, not anymore. Not anymore because Christ has already redeemed you from the curse of the law because he became a curse for us. That is undeserved Beautiful grace, showing you favor that we don't deserve. All I can say is, God, thank you. I didn't deserve it, but you know what? We don't stay in that place of shame. We say, but I will receive it. I will receive that. And it changes me from the inside out. So just to remind you that God has already provided your freedom, I, would you just uh, look underneath your table tents, the purple table tent, and there are some cards there. Would you just pass them around your table? So when you feel like you're stuck and the devil starts heaping shame and condemnation on you and you think you deserve it, I want you to present this card in the face of the devil. This is your get out of jail free card that Jesus has already provided. And it's based on Isaiah 61.1, and it says to tell the captives, you're free. Sometimes we don't know we're free. And it says to tell the prisoners that you've been released. The door is open, ladies. Are you going to walk through it? You get a get out of jail free card, and you can pass go, and you can collect $200 in Jesus' name. <laughs> And go ahead and buy Park Place and Boardwalk and put hotels on it and win the game. Amen? All right. So this is just a fun reminder. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. That was so fun. So you are now a card-carrying member of the Redeemed of the Lord Club. Get out of jail club. I'm not staying in that prison. Uh-uh. Not me. I'm walking through the open door that Jesus has swung wide open for me. This is something that you have to redeem it, though. You can be a card-carrying member and still stay in jail unless you get up. Use it. Know that you, it is yours to use. It also reminds me of like the elephant. I, I shared this story before, but it's just, it just works so well in this illustration, is that the elephant in a circus, when they're baby elephants, they will tie a huge, or tie, they will chain the elephant with a huge stake on the ground. And so no matter how much that elephant, that baby elephant pulls on that chain, it's, it can't pull it out of the ground. It is held captive. 
But what is true is that as that elephant gets older and bigger and stronger, they actually put a smaller and smaller and lighter and lighter chain or rope around the leg and a smaller stake in the ground because why? Because the elephant will become conditioned to think he is unable to pull that stake out of the ground. Can he, this two-ton elephant? Absolutely he could, because now they've got a light rope with a little stake, but he doesn't know it. He doesn't know that he's really free. Sometimes we don't know that we're free, and we act like we're still chained, in chains. Though he was still captive and stuck, his freedom was all his if all he would do to pull up that stake. When we listen to the, the lies of the devil, it stakes us to the ground. It keeps us in jail. We're held captive to lies that we believe. But see, the devil knows that Jesus already set you free. So all he has, the only weapons that he has is to tell you lies. And if you believe them and you agree with them, you stay in jail. You stay in captivity. And the devil will continue to throw accusations at you. But he whispers things like, God's so disappointed in you. Look at you. You call yourself a Christian? You failed again. You never get it right. Nobody even sees you. You don't have any importance. Nobody really notices you. You must be insignificant lies 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 and they will keep you in a prison that has a door wide open so we oftentimes say i'm not qualified to walk in freedom but you have disqualified yourself but this is such an awesome scripture colossians 1:12 says giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light? Who has qualified you? God has qualified you. You are qualified, not because we're so good, but because he's so good out of the goodness of his love for us. He qualified himself to share. He has qualified you and I to share in his inheritance. Every precious promise and gift that he provides. So, in the real world... How do you qualify for an inheritance? We have to be related, or you have to be named in the will. So guess what? My, it's a good example. My, my in-laws received a, a letter in the mail from a, a law office um, that they weren't familiar with and said, hey, you have been found to be in the family of, uh, of a Waldhart who we weren't even aware that um, was a relative, and we're looking for long-lost relatives to settle his estate. And if you'll return this letter, then you will have part of his inheritance. Well, they didn't say how much. <laughs> and they didn't, and it almost sounded like a scam, but all they were asking for is just let us know, and we'll send you a check. So my, my in-laws did exactly that, and sure enough, a couple of weeks later, they got a check for a couple thousand dollars because they belonged to the family. The will was read and the estate was distributed and they qualified. Did they do anything to qualify? No, the only qualification was they were part of the family. They were blood. You and I 
We are related. We are part of the family of God. And therefore, you get a share in the inheritance, not because of what you do, but because who God has made you. He says, you're mine. I'm adopting you into my family, and you're written in my will. You get to partake in my inheritance. I'm sharing my, my estate with you because you are his child. And we, get, we are qualified because we are family, we are kin, and we are blood relatives because he said so. And that qualifies us. Colossians 1.12 says that it is the God the Father who has qualified you to share in that inheritance. He qualified you to receive every spiritual blessing. In fact, it's already yours. He's qualified you um, not based on our performance, but because Jesus said, I'm qualifying you. I'm making you righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we already said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us because in him... He gave us what we didn't deserve, his righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus that is our righteousness, holiness, redemption. Only through Jesus. So because of God's grace, we get to, we get to have a part in that inheritance. You are qualified to be completely forgiven. You are qualified to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are qualified to receive healing. You are qualified to receive answers to your prayer. You are qualified to prosper in every area of your life. You are qualified to receive your breakthrough so you can break free and break forth to a bright future in him. You are qualified because Jesus qualified you. And that's good news, is it not? So don't believe that you're not good enough to receive. The blood of Jesus is what makes you qualified and good enough. So don't stay in this jail cell with the door wide open. Can you say this? Say, I am qualified for all God's blessings. God made me qualified. Amen. All right. So let's talk about how we get these breakthroughs to walk into freedom. Because you know what? This morning, thank you, Amy, we sang... Break down the walls. What's the next part? Push back the dark. Light of the world. Move in our hearts. Yes, there's a stirring in the heavens, ladies, for us to find that breakthrough. Him breaking through the walls that we've built in our lives. Him tearing down the strongholds that we, that we have been gotten so used to. But I think that we can learn a few things from the story of the children of Israel who finally step into their promised land. This is after they wandered for 40 years. Like we're going to be talking about that. Oh, my goodness. Did they have to wander for 40 years? They really didn't. But they didn't go in and possess the land. But they we're finally there. This time... Their challenge is to take the land of Canaan, the promised land. But the first obstacle is the city of Jericho. And they look at this and they say, this is impossible. Apparently the walls were 11 feet high, 14 feet wide. And at its top was a smooth stone slope that was angling up at 35 degrees that went up in the air 35 feet. It was impenetrable. They weren't warriors, they were wanderers. <laughs> and so here they are. God has a strategy. Now, how many of you know God's ways are not always like our ways, right? Okay, so they might have said, God, this is crazy. But it's a good thing they had crazy faith 
in God because this is what God told them to do. Take the ark, which represented the presence of God. Where the ark was, they had success in the battles because where the presence of God is, the enemy has to flee. So the first thing they did is they put God first. They put the presence of God in the ark with seven priests carrying seven trumpets. How many of you know the, the, uh, the number of God is seven? And so all this means something, but this is what they were told to do. March around the city one time, blow the trumpets, and leave. You say, how in the world is that going to cause a victory? And the people were not allowed to talk. They had to be silent. And I think they had to be silent because they, God didn't want to hear the, the negative words that were being spoken. This is stupid. How embarrassing. We're walking around this huge, impenetrable wall. This isn't going to work. They weren't allowed to say a word. And they were told to do this every day for six days. But on the seventh day, Joshua instructed the people, when you hear the horn... Oh, and this time they had to march around the city seven times, okay? So the seventh day had, had um, new victory in it. And he said, when you hear the horns, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. They didn't have weapons. They didn't have guns, obviously. But they had the shout of the word of the Lord, and they had to shout and watch their the city crumble and fall, and it was utterly destroyed that day, and it was a great triumph. But it wasn't because they had a powerful army or powerful weapons. It was won by their placing their faith in God's power and their obedience in doing it God's way. Ladies, in Hebrews 11.30, says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell. You know they had to exercise faith. And you know, you and I, we need to exercise faith to see our walls fall down too. And sometimes we have to zip it and stop speaking unbelief. And sometimes we have to say, God, what is your strategy for breaking down this wall? And do what he says, do it his way. It will cause victory in your life and it'll cause walls to fall flat so that you get your breakthrough. But let's talk about faith for a minute. See, if we believe in the lies, we're not going to exercise faith because we're still sitting in a jail cell with the door wide open. Romans 12, 3 says, God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Guess what? You have the same faith as Jesus had. You didn't stand in line in the faith line and God gave you a teaspoon and gave somebody else a whole cup full. You all got the same measure of faith. Do you have enough faith to do what God says to do? And to trust him, you have enough faith. The question is, how much of that faith are you exercising? How much of that faith are you saying, I'm going to dare to believe what God says? Got to tell you the story. Um, many of you remember last May. Um, it was May 3rd. I was called out from this very meeting before worship was done. And I was told, your father-in-law in the hospital, get there now. And this was the day that he had already been in the hospital for a whole week. And they were taking him like for that final walk to make sure he was doing okay. He was coming home. And I get there. And his heart had stopped. They had revived him. And he is on total full life support. It was like, what happened? What happened? And right away they were assessing and, and testing and trying to figure out, you know, 
um, how much of this life support he really needed at that time, but they kept saying, call your family, call your family, gather your family, and it was a polite way of saying, this doesn't look good, this is critical. And so as the day progressed, the news got worse, and they said, we're going to allow you to go in four and five at a time, pretty much to say your goodbyes. And what we found out later is that he had failed a 10-point test for brain activity twice. And so that is a legal term for pulling the plug and saying there's no life here without life support machines keeping him alive. And so my husband and his uh, brothers and mother had been in the room for quite a while, and they came out and said, you can go in in groups of four and five. And people started lining up, because let me just tell you the Waldhart way. By the end of the evening, there were 39 people in ICU. That's just what we do. We support one another. And um, I elbowed my way to the front of the line, and I just, I didn't talk to anybody. I just went in, because I wanted to be with my husband, too. And I had this churning and this unction, and I walked into the room, and everybody's, we're in shock. This isn't what we expected. And I just said quietly, I said, we need to pray. We need to pray. And I didn't even care if anybody came with me, but I went over to my father-in-law, who really had just been declared dead, brain dead, no brain activity, not even a flinch. And I laid hands on him. And as I walked over there, the enemy comes at you. He says, oh, you're just doing this because you're a pastor. I says, oh, no, I'm I am doing this because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. He says, oh, but what if it doesn't work? Oh, what if it does? <laughs> I said, I am going to dare to believe that the word of God works. Because Jesus said, use my name and I'll do it. It's not me. I said, I went over and I didn't even know what else was going on in the room. And I laid hands on him. And I just said, we speak life. We speak the name of Jesus. Dad, we speak to your brain. Line up, brain. We speak life into your body. Line up, body. The word of God says you are healed and whole from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. And I opened my eyes and everybody else had been laying hands on him as well. And I'd like, you to, I'd like to say his eyes flew open and he sat up in bed and nothing happened. But we prayed. And we believed and we released the power, the resurrection power in, into his body. We are simply a conduit. Jesus said he would do it if we would pray. I had to dare it. Everything in front of me, everything we have been told, none of it was good. But God is good and God is faithful. It wasn't but 20 minutes later that he started to respond. First, it was a squeeze of the hands. Then his eyes came open. Then he started responding to conversation. And then he started to talk with this tube down his throat. That didn't work so good. And so it was not but a few hours after that, they pulled the tube. He was completely off life support. He was on oxygen, and he kept needing less and less. Why? Because I did a good job praying. No, it's because the name of Jesus releases life. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in us. If you will dare to believe the word of God is true, you can walk 
in that kind of faith. God rose that up inside of me. And I had to, like, march around the city seven times and think, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I do know my God, and he's faithful. He came home a week later, and we knew that his heart issues and his, his lung issues were still very fragile, but we had six glorious weeks with him. He went, there were birthday parties, there was Mother's Day, there was Father's Day, there were t-ball games, there were going out to eat, there were just gathering, gathering. We enjoyed time with him. But then I have to tell you the rest of the story. I got another phone call. And I was but just a mile away from their house at the time. And they said, Karen, come quick, Dad's heart stopped again. And this time he's at home. And so when I got there, the EMTs, the police, everybody was there, and they were trying to resuscitate him on the floor in the living room. And the same brother-in-law, sister-in-law, we were all there, and they kept coming. This is what they said. Does he have a living will? Do you know what his, his desire is? And this is what my mother-in-law is doing. Oh, no, she said, we don't have a living will. We don't have the document. But he didn't want this. He didn't want to go through this again. During that six-week period, he had said over and over, I'm so glad I didn't, I didn't sign that DNR, the do not resuscitate in hospital. But then he said, I don't ever want to go through that again. And he made my mother-in-law promise, but she says, oh, no, he didn't want to go through this again. So something was different this time, wasn't it? And they actually apologized said, we're sorry, but without a living will, without a document, we have to resuscitate. I went, yes. You go, you go, go back, go back. And, um, and I looked at my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and I said, what do we do? And I said, we have to pray. We have to pray. And so we did. And I tell you what, we released the same faith. We prayed the same prayer. We spoke the same life. We spoke the same name of Jesus. But 30 minutes later, they came and said, this is all that we are able to do. At this time, we have to pronounce that he is dead. And we're so sorry. And you might think, oh, you didn't have enough faith this time. Oh, what happened? What went wrong? What did you do wrong? See, that's what the devil wants you to think. But God gave me another beautiful picture that I have to share because it was different this time. And this time I had this picture that my father-in-law had been in heaven for 30 minutes because to be absent in the body is to be what? present with the Lord. And he was enjoying an amazing family reunion because my sister-in-law and his daughter had died just two years prior, and obviously lots of loved ones. And they were having this great time in heaven, and Jesus came up to him and tapped, tapped my father-in-law on the shoulder and said, excuse me, Wally, he said, um, they're praying, and they're calling you back, and they're using my name. So do you want to stay? Or do you want to go? And I believe my father-in-law's living will was to begin his living with Jesus for eternity that day. And I think he says, I'm staying. I'm staying. So in Jesus' name, you have to believe that all things are possible for him who believes. And let me just say this really quickly because I want you to get opportunity to talk together at your tables. Is it possible for belief and unbelief to exist at the same time when we're talking about faith? You know what? There's a small part of me that says, I hope this works. <laughs> but there was a bigger part of me that said, Jesus, 
I can't do this, but you can. And I know you want to. And I believe that the Holy Spirit did this inside of me, created that urgency because my father-in-law, first time, his will was to be living still. But sometimes we don't believe that we can have faith or unbelief. And we say, if I don't have 100% faith, then I can't pray for these mountains to be removed. But you know what Jesus says? It doesn't take great faith. It doesn't take big faith, because remember, we all have the same measure of faith. But he did say that if you use my name, you can speak to the mountain with just a mustard seed of faith, and it has to move. So picture teeter-totter. What is the balance Are we living in more unbelief than belief? Or does your belief outweigh the unbelief? And so even the the father whose son was um, needed to be delivered, the disciples prayed for him, and nothing happened. They could have said, oh, we didn't have enough faith. What happened here? But they brought the boy to Jesus, and Jesus said, um, said, this is not because of your lack of faith, O ye with little faith. He says, it's because of your unbelief. He was speaking to his disciples. So unbelief cannot stay when we become confident in the the promises of God and his faithfulness. So you might think that I'm spurring you on to try harder, pray longer, change your behavior, work on your weaknesses. I'm not. I'm spurring you you on to die harder. Die to yourself. Pray as the Spirit prompts you. Line your thoughts up with, and your words with the truth of God's word. Nip the lies in the bud and counterbalance the unbelief with belief. That's how we're breaking through. That's how we're breaking free today. If you have pain in your body, you say, I am the healed of the Lord. If you have unsaved loved ones, you say, as for me in my house, We serve the Lord. When you feel abandoned, you say, thank you, Jesus, that your promise is that I'm never alone. You said you would never turn your back on me. You will always remain with me. When your situation looks impossible, you say, with God, nothing is impossible. When I'm feeling depressed, I will put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I'm saying, like God be God, trust in his word and be willing to break through Let him bring that breakthrough so you can break into the freedom that he's already paid such a high price for. 